Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Baptist in Rocky Top. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. This morning, we're taking a break from our journey through the book of Acts, which I've really enjoyed taking that journey with you, and I've personally learned a lot as God has been showing us really the purity of the New Testament church. And this morning, though, we're going to do something that the early church did often, and that's take the Lord's Supper together. Communion, Holy Communion, we call it lots of different things, but it's a special day at First Baptist Church as we take this together. And as Christians, there are two ordinances that we identify that Jesus asks us to do to recognize the significance of our relationship with the Lord Jesus, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. An ordinance is an order, it's a decree, and it's a command. And for us, Jesus commands us to do these two sacred actions to proclaim to the world our relationship with him. And baptism, while not required for salvation, it displays in a very tangible way the beauty of the transformation when a person makes the decision to accept the gift of redemption offered by the Lord Jesus. We're buried in the water here to show that we have died to an old way of life, that we've been buried, that we're dead to sin, and then we rise again from the waters, a new creation, and to a new life being born again into the kingdom of God. It's an outward display of an inward transformation that takes place by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And the second ordinance is what we are about to do here today, which is the Lord's Supper. Now, in some churches, and in fact, I say this often myself, we call this communion because it is a solemn and sacred ceremony in which we mark and honor our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, and we join as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We commune with God. We commune with together. And in some churches, it's called the Eucharist, because when Jesus is taking this meal with his disciples, we read that he gives thanks, which is the Greek word, Eucharistio. And so taking communion is only to be done by those who've trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but it can be such an incredible witness to a person who has not yet made that profession of faith. And so therefore, as Christians, we have to take it reverently, and we focus on the importance of what it means to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection, what he has accomplished for us. And it's telling the world what we believe in a way that shows our obedience to Christ, the teaching of the Bible, and it speaks to our faith in remembering what Christ has done, the reality of our salvation right now in the present, and then it also looks to the final things in the future. And when we Look in the Bible to find the account of the Lord's Supper and communion and how the Lord wants us to do this and what his model was for us. We see it in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Apostle Paul also speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 11. And actually today I'm going to be uh, speaking from Luke chapter 22. And then when we actually take communion here in just a few moments, we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians there in 1 Corinthians 11. So this is Luke 22. It's near the very end of his gospel. Luke is, of course, giving his biography of Jesus's life. Very detailed biography. I think uh, you might recall this from our study in the book of Acts, but Luke wrote the book of Acts in addition to this gospel, and Acts is kind of a sequel to the book of Luke or to the gospel of Luke. So we see a lot of kind of continuity in the story here that Luke gives us. And so this begins in verse 7 of Luke chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover feast for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled into the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, if you've taken communion or the Lord's Supper before, you may have noticed that the story I just read contains a little bit more detail than what we would commonly hear at a time when we take the Lord's Supper. The meal that Jesus was having with his disciples was not a one-time event here, as we might think it would be as Christians. In fact, it would have been something that Jesus and his disciples would have observed since birth. And the symbolism, the food that they would have eaten, the scriptures that they would have heard, and the Jewish songs associated with this moment would have built some of the very first memories that they would have had as a Jewish child. And so before Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, Jews had celebrated for centuries another important meal known as Passover. And by understanding some of the symbolism and activity behind the Passover, I believe that we can understand and appreciate the even greater significance of the Lord's Supper. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you have Jewish friends, it is bountiful with traditions and festivals and all of these ceremonies that are constantly reminding the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, of the great things that God has done. And Jesus grew up in this culture. The disciples grew up in this culture. They had spent all their childhoods participating in these great events that brought back memories of major events from the lives of their ancestors and how God had acted in these moments and the gratitude and the deliverance by God uh, in these great historical moments in Jewish history. And the segment that we just read in Luke occurs during an important week for the Jews. It was the Passover, and it was an important Jewish feast that coincides with a week-long festival known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Passover was instituted by God during the period of the Exodus to commemorate the Jews' exit and from bondage and oppression in Egypt. Now, if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. I'm going to share it with you. But it's an amazing story that I encourage you to read in one of the Old Testament books called Exodus. In fact, it's the second Old Testament book, Genesis. Then you go right into the book of Exodus. It's a well-known story here of the oppression and bondage that the Israelites faced under Egyptian taskmasters. And while this is going on, God sends forth a mighty man by the name of Moses to deliver them. But the Pharaoh refuses 
And so after many plagues of various types are leveled on the Egyptians by God, the Pharaoh continues to resist. And in a final step of intense judgment, God uh, pours this out on the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And so on the evening that this was to happen, God instructs Moses to tell the Israelites to kill a sacrificial lamb or goat and place its blood on the door covering of their home. And when God saw the blood, he would pass over that home and spare them the judgment that was coming. This is recorded in Exodus 12. I'll read just a couple of verses here. God says, here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you were staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now there's a lot of symbolism there that if you're familiar with Christ, you would immediately see. And this was the meal that Jesus was having with his disciples. And it would have started like any other Passover meal. But as it progresses, in this moment that we just read in Luke, Jesus reveals new significance and new meaning into this sacred and ancient tradition. And it would have been surprising some of the things Jesus would say to his disciples that he was sharing this meal with. And so now as they gather around the table, I think it's important to kind of reconstruct the image of what was happening in our minds. There's a very famous painting that I would be willing to bet that all of us have seen that was completed around 1498. A.D. by Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most recognizable names in the world of art. And in this painting, Jesus is centered at an elevated table with all of his disciples gathered around, making various gestures and facial expressions, all sitting in chairs at a very large table that looks similar to what you and I might gather around at a very large family holiday. It's a beautiful painting with style, shades, lighting, and just an amazing skill that exceeds the greatest masters. And we should all study it and admire it for its grandeur. But it's not historically accurate at all. In verse 14 that we read in Luke, we read that Jesus reclined at the table. And the table would have been low to the ground. And those who gathered around the table would have sat and reclined, uh, possibly on a cushion of sorts, to eat their meal. And of course, this was not any normal meal, everything that was done was infused with deep meaning, remembrance, and it pointed people to worship. And at this meal, back in Jesus' time, there would have been at least three cups or three times that those taking Passover would have drunk from a cup of wine. But right off, Jesus says something to the disciples that would be very strange to them. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You see, Passover for the Jews always pointed backwards to an event. But here, Jesus connects it with the suffering that he is about to endure in that moment, in the present. And he looks then to the future. So the past was about Israel's liberation from slavery in Egypt. But now, Jesus is adding an even greater meaning, a far greater meaning, which is liberation from the bondage 
of sin. And so Jesus would have taken the cup of wine and he would have sang a very brief song according to Jewish tradition. Now, I have to say, I'm glad that there's no Hebrew scholar here as I say these words because I'm sure that I will not do it justice to that beautiful language. But Jesus would have taken the cup and he would have sang something like this. Baruch Atah Adonai Elohim Melech Ha-Olam Bora Peri Hagafon, which means in English, we praise God, spirit of everything, who creates the fruit of the vine. And that's exactly what Luke recorded for us in his gospel. And so I want to point out some other things that Jesus and his disciples would have also done at this moment that you and I will not do here in a moment during our communion time with each other. They would have eaten something called carpus. Now, this would have been like a piece of hearty lettuce, or today really something like celery, and they would have dipped it in salt water. They would have kind of swirled it around to cause the salt water to be interwoven uh, through all the liquid there, and then they would have taken a crunchy bite of this carpus. And if you can imagine that taste sensation in your mouth, it would have been very unpleasant. And at this point, as the tradition goes, children who would have been gathered around the table, and granted there were no children here with uh, this Passover meal that Jesus was having with his disciples, but normally as this would take place, young children, after they would have been asked to kind of partake in this meal, they would start asking a flurry of questions. They would say, you know, why are we doing this? What does this mean? What is the purpose of this meal? And those questions would guide the rest of the meal, and stories would be told of great events in Jewish history. Joseph and the multicolored garment that he wore, the tension that he had with his brothers, the journey down to Egypt, and eventually the bondage they would experience. Stories would be told of how the Israelites were oppressed by the Egyptians and forced to make bricks without straw, and how this was a bitter and difficult thing to do, or in the Hebrew, it made their lives morah, or bitter, and so they would eat a bitter herb called moror, which is kind of a play on words there of bitterness, and the herb that they most commonly would use and most commonly use today is chopped up horseradish. Now, that's not a common thing that we eat, particularly here in the South. In fact, I have to tell you personally that my only experience with horseradish is that strong condiment that you can have at Arby's on your roast beef sandwich. And even that taste, at least to my palate, is somewhat unpleasant, but it was supposed to be unpleasant. That was kind of the point, this sensation of bitterness. And it was so strong that it would bring tears to the eyes of the people that were eating it to reflect on the pain and the suffering that the Israelites, that the Hebrews, that the Jews experienced while they were in bondage there in Egypt. But then the message of deliverance came with the unleavened bread. There was no yeast in this bread. And yeast, as some of you know, takes hours to permeate through the dough that causes it to rise. And the Israelites were going to have to leave quickly. And they didn't have time for this to work its way, the, the yeast, all the way through the dough. So they ate bread unleavened. And the bread was a reminder of this deliverance of the people being brought out of bondage. And once again, Jesus inserts new meaning into this. He inserts himself, if you will, into the bread as his body, as his sacrifice would bring deliverance for us. The bread, his body, 
that would be broken for us. And then finally, the last cup, Jesus takes this cup and he connects it to his blood and the all-important Passover lamb. And the blood of this lamb would be placed again on the doorpost of the homes of the Hebrews. And anyone who had the blood would be spared from the judgment of God. And so here Jesus now says that it is his blood in the new covenant that doesn't point to past deliverance and salvation, but points to the salvation that he offers now for all people once and for all eternally through his atoning death on the cross. And so Jesus takes this amazing Passover meal and he infuses it with the new revelation of the new covenant. No longer are we merely recognizing that we're saved from slavery and bondage from an oppressive nation, but something far greater than that. We are being saved from something much darker and more sinister. We are being saved from sin and death through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus lifts that last cup and saying, Baruch atah Adonai, Elohinu melich ahalam, Borapari hagafen. We praise God, Spirit of everything, who creates the fruit of the vine. This is something I love and appreciate so much about the Jewish culture that I think that oftentimes we miss in the West, sometimes even in churches, because we can be a little afraid of some of these ceremonies, but the Lord's Supper engages all of our senses. We hear aloud the truth of Scripture. We see the visible elements of the bread and the wine. We smell the aromas that we, they give off, and we touch the components of the bread and the wine. And finally, tasting each part as we recognize now in the present what Christ is doing. But we also remember his sacrifice in the past, and we look forward to that glorious day in the future. Jesus unites all things, past, present, and future, with the beauty and truth of his work in our lives. And so now, friends, we're going to serve one another, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper, hopefully understanding the meaning that Jesus infused with it as he had it and had this Passover meal with his disciples. And I would just encourage you during this time for it to be a personal quiet time of prayer and reflection as you are served this meal and as you take the bread and as you take the swine that we're going to eat together, that you would hear and think of God's goodness and his greatness and the sacrifice that Christ done for us. Let us pray and then the men will come forward to serve the church. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful moment, God, that again engages all of our senses, Lord, as we worship you and as you told us to do this in remembrance of you god and lord jesus how grateful we are that you gave your life on the cross that you died on the cross and that the blood of christ saves us and cleanses us from all sin lord thank you so much for that god help us to be reflective during this time to remember what you have done in the past to have confidence in the salvation, in our salvation, in the present, and to look to that glorious day in the future when you return and we share this meal all together in the glorious kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.